had a terrible situation. One of our clients stiffed us for half a million dollars. It was the biggest recession since 1929. At that moment, we had to pivot um, and we pivoted into content and social. And then shortly thereafter, realized that we could really make a difference in B2B. Welcome to the Health Tech Marketing Podcast brought to you by Health Launchpad and Hims. Hi, I'm Adam Trinis. I'm Health Launchpad founder and CEO and your host for today. Um, I also want to give a big thank you to my partner Hims and also a massive thank you to you for joining us today. Um, so what's this podcast about? Look, you know, we all know marketing to healthcare is especially hard and we could all use a little help. So the reason for the Health Tech Marketing Podcast is a chance for you to hear directly from leading health tech and also leading B2B marketers, where they're going to share insights on what works in B2B marketing, and especially in marketing and selling to healthcare organizations. Today, I am just so delighted to introduce our guest, the amazing Mr. Drew Nicer. Um, Drew is truly a B2B marketing rock star. Um, Drew is the founder of Renegade Marketing, a very successful B2B agency, and also the uh, founder of CMO Huddles, which he'll talk a little bit about. Um, he has this amazing podcast on B2B marketing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled uh, to have him on my show. Um, and the podcast is called Renegade Marketers Unite. Um, and last but not least, he's also an author, and he's the author of a must-read book for B2B marketers, a new book called Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for that kind introduction. I hope my wife doesn't hear this show because she's going to say, your head's going to get so big it won't fit into the apartment. So thank you for those <laughs> kind words. Oh, you're so welcome. Now, we're going to get into this book in a bit because it's got there's so much insight in it. Um, but before we do this, just tell us a bit about your story. How did you come into the whole world of B2B marketing and, and tell us about the journey to create uh, Renegade? So I, I like to say that Renegade has had a lot of lives. And when we first started, uh, this was me midway in my career looking for a different sort of way to go. I've always been an ad guy that didn't want to do ads. And so I started, I was working in Dentsu in the 90s and they said, hey, let's form a new group to go after Panasonic. And so this was 1993. I said, great. Panasonic has gray. They're very happy with that. As long as you don't care what we do, we'll be the anti-gray and we'll get some business. That was the, sort of the impetus for Renegade. Uh, 96, we officially incorporated as Renegade Marketing Group. 98, we became just Renegade. And as I said, we've had a lot of lives. I actually bought 20% of the company in, in 1998, which was unusual. So I had a vested interest in it. And we, we did get a lot of Panasonic business, by the way, including the Tough Book, which we ended up naming and launching. And I tell the story and we'll talk about that later. And we had a 15-year run with Panasonic. But in 2008, it was clear they were leaving and now there was no reason for Dentsu and Drew to be partners. And so I bought them out. 
uh, probably at the worst time in the history of individual buyouts. Uh, yeah, I'm a counter indicator. When you want to do something amazing, uh, call Drew and to find out if he's trying something amazing because it's most likely it'll be a recession. Um, anyway, so uh 2008 uh had a terrible situation one of our clients stiffed us for half a million dollars it was the biggest recession since 1929 at that moment we had to pivot um and we pivoted into content and social and then shortly thereafter realized that we could really make a difference in b2b because i just kept seeing such boring marketing and i thought you know it doesn't have to be boring uh business to boring as they say and so we started focusing on that and and that journey uh continued uh, up until you know and as we're still doing it but so there you are so renegade evolved into b2b uh basically because i i felt like it was just underserved creatively from a renegade thinking standpoint. Everything looked the same. Yeah. Maybe it was an opportunity for a firm like ours. Oh, that's so interesting. It's, um, you know, the, the way that you've developed your company and I, you know, is, is so, it, it's such a, um, such a great example. And I think, you know, you, you really are a, a, a case of people who eat their own dog food. I mean, I, I hear so many agency people saying, oh, we're the shoemaker's children. We don't market ourselves really well. But I think what, the way that you've done it with the podcasts and with your blogs and with the books is, you know, you're you're creating content which is a, a value to your to your audience, but it's also you know promotes your brand and 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 you know makes you an authority. Now I'm I'm reading your new book and I'm most of the way through it and I'm really loving it. So just tell us about the, the, the book and, and what was the spark that started it? Because, I mean, you know, writing a book, particularly writing a good book, is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, so my first book and that this, these do dots do connect. Um, it's funny you talk about uh, drinking in your own champagne or eating your own dog food. So in about at that time, I mentioned in 2008, I said, the way we're going to get out of this and survive is by making a lot of friends. And the way we make friends is by writing. And if we're going to be selling content, we better be doing content. So that was the point I started interviewing. Uh, I, I committed to writing a blog post every week or an article, wherever it was, I was going to write an article. And to do that, you need a lot of content. And so I started interviewing chief marketing officers. And anyway, so after a hundred interviews, someone said, Hey, Drew, there's gotta be a book in there. And so without really thinking, I said, Oh yeah, there is. And, and we came up with the CMO's periodic table and of which was 64 of them after writing that book. And I started on the speaking tour, people said, so Drew, I can't read all 64 chapters. I'm trouble finding a thread here. What's the thread? And that's where, when we discovered this notion of cats and this courage, artful, thoughtful, and scientific, because it was a way of, I could connect the dots to every successful CMO through these four traits. Okay, now having had those traits cut to four years ago, the thing we were noticing in B2B is that it was getting ridiculously complicated. And, and by that, I mean, there, there were nine to 14 personas. There were all these different types of messaging. There were all these stages and brand was getting lost. Story was getting lost. And so in 2019, we fielded a study among 115 or so CMOs and said, so um, are things more complex than they were 12 to 24 months ago? And 90% said yes. Then you sort of look for signs, is marketing more effective? And the answer was no. So, oh, okay, well, maybe that's the problem. And so started 
outlining in our own mind how can, this was an agency initiative. It's how do we radically simplify marketing and, and could we do it within the CATS framework? So that's when we came up with these 12 steps. We tried testing it in our own uh, with our own clients. And then I said, okay, this is good. It's working. Let's write a book. And I had a book done, believe it or not, February, March, 2020. And I said, eh, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's a lot of change that's going to happen in the next three months. I better just put it on hold. So, but I've had the book. So we took a, literally a hatchet to the book and created a 15,000 word blog post called the, it's a mother of all blog posts. Yeah. Uh, again, drinking your own champagne, yeah. put the stuff up there and said, does this resonate? And the good news is it did resonate. It continues to resonate. When you type in B2B brand strategy, we come up one or two and we get 200 wow. to 400 visitors to our website every day because of the strength of that article, which is, you know, the mother of all, all blog posts. So anyway. That is a testament to content marketing, SEO, and, and just, just writing good stuff. <laughs> and, and, you know, it also speaks to this notion of a lot of people think, oh, it's too long. We can't have it and so forth. But, you know, look, you can solve some problems in a paragraph or two or three in a 500 word blog post. But if you're trying to do something like reinvent and radically mm -hmm. simplify B2B marketing, you're not going to do it in 500 words and it's not going to be the value. So if you really want people to, you need to put something out there that is really substantive. Anyway, at, during the course of the recession, uh, I'm sorry, the, the pandemic, I kept interviewing kept getting more cases, kept getting more confident that this methodology would work. Uh, and so finally, you know, earlier this year, uh, probably not until June, I finished, uh, finished the book and, and added a, and by the way, it's so much better than the first draft because of that extra year and a half and what we learned through the pandemic. I want to dig in a little bit on the book and some of the themes in it in a second, but actually I'm just, I'm also want to just change just change gears a little bit and talk about you know as you over the course of the the pandemic and you as you talk to marketers how did you see them adjust what was the sort of recalibration that that, that sort of you saw because you were seeing that real time right yeah yeah well exactly and we'll talk about cmo huddles but one of the things so again march uh, 14th complete shutdown yeah. i'm wondering i have no idea as a small business owner you have no idea at that moment, whether or not you're going to survive. You just don't know. You, I mean, everybody in past recessions cuts budget really fast and marketing is the first to go. So I started just reaching out to all the CMOs that I knew and said, hey, you know what? Let's just hang out once a, once a week. And that's what where CMO Huddle started from. And what I was hearing was fascinating. And what they there were a couple of themes emerged almost right away that were survival strategies. One, people started to sort of really hug their customers. And these CMOs were getting on the phone and calling their customers and say, how your business, how you doing? The empathy you know, went off the charts. And some of them said, you know, you might be in a cash crunch right now. We'll extend the terms. And then they asked for something like, would you give us a testimonial or, or yeah. can you give us a longer contract? So that was part one. And then part two of this was this understanding that either you're an essential brand and by essential, you know, you think of essential workers immediately and people who are in hospitals, but yes. there were a number of new kinds of brands like a Zoom or like a talk desk that became essential because you had to move your business from physical to virtual. All those companies were like just, I mean, you saw what happened to Zoom. All of them just like were explosive. 
then everybody else had to figure out how do we how do we resolve with the CF no? That's what happened. How do we go overcome them? And you did that by figuring out either how to make your brand essential and or how you could get a payback really, really fast. Um, and so it was really interesting to see those two things yeah. happen. Yeah, it's, 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 it is really interesting you said. With, um, one of the things, actually, uh, one of the things we, uh, that um, we've been doing with HIMSS, Health Launchpad and HIMSS have partnered on is, uh, is a research survey. And so we actually surveyed a big panel of um, health tech marketers at the end of last year. So how did, you know, and that was sort of the question there was, well, how did ch things change versus what you were planning? And then we just resurveyed um, the same panel again um, to see, and so how have things changed in 2021? And there's sort of two, I mean, there's kind of two themes. One is, the theme of like accelerating. So budgets are actually, people are actually spending more than they anticipated. But, you know, I think the other theme that comes out is that it's been um, a great opportunity to experiment because, you know, all these large budgets that were sort of dedicated to events have sort of got to go somewhere. Right. And so people are even trying TV and a lot more video and, you know, and, and ABM and all of that stuff. I mean, <laughs> adding to the complexity, I guess. But, um, you know, I think that the sort of I, I, I'm, I'm actually excited about as we come out of this is that I think that marketers are going to get a lot more, a lot more innovative. At least I, I hope so. They don't just kind of revert back to sort of revert back to what they used to do. Yeah, it's a good question. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, more than 50 percent of B2B leads came from physical events. So that was a huge crisis for a lot of ones. And I talk in the book, there was one CMO I interviewed who actually had uh, a test going at the time uh, when COVID happened. And it turned out that was her ABM test and that became the plan. So she was very fortunate. So I think events will come back and they will come yes. back furiously yep. because not so much that people want to go hang out with brands, but because people want to go hang out with people. They do. They do. Actually, a previous episode, I interviewed a terrific person called Robin Duda, who's in this sort of experiential marketing, and she's, she's an advisor to him. Um, and I think the sort of the notion that comes through the talking to her is, is that, you know, we're, we're moving into a hybrid world. And what happens is I think that, you know, the events are actually in-person events are smaller, but they're much higher quality. Right. And I found I went to him's actually over the summer and it was, you know, it was a hybrid. I don't know what the relative, but it was a lot smaller than, you know, the, the, the previous hymns as had been, but I, you know, I got as much, in fact, more out of it. I think that I had a previous events because it was less overwhelming and people were more relaxed and willing to have a good conversation. So, you know, maybe we end up in a better place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people have learned a lot from, from the hybrid scenario and for doing a lot of, I mean, I, I talk about this in the book, these sort of micro virtual events that are very high caliber and they yeah. might only have 10 to 15 people, but uh, that are working really well. And remember, events served a lot of purposes, but one of the best that they had was as a deal accelerator. People always forget. They think about it, it's about deal acquisition. No, it's really about deal acceleration. You bring some yeah. customers and you bring some really close prospects. 
So solving for that took a lot of creativity. Uh, and I think I mentioned Chandar Padabaram from Koopa, who has built a program and it's talked about it in the book where he does these series of very high caliber virtual events. He doesn't talk about his brand at all, but he brings in a few customers. They send wine or whiskey or something to the, the yep. guests and you just bring them together and allow them to talk. And then eventually one of your customers talks about your business. It's a beautiful thing. So those are going to keep going because it's so convenient, right? I mean, this is why CMO huddles works. I mean, if I said I wanted to get 15 CMOs together uh, for dinner right now in New York City, it'd be impossible. It's just right. you know, really hard. But if I said, hey, we're going to we're going to have um, a huddle at 4 p.m. on this time. Can you block it on your calendar? They'll go, yeah, I can do that. Well, if people want to, if, if any CMOs here want to get involved with CMO huddles, what should they, what should they do? Uh, so it's all B2B and uh, they can go to cmohuddles.com. Thank you for asking. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't mean this to be a pitch for that because we can talk about the book, but uh, it's, a, it's such a gratifying thing when you bring CMOs together and they help each other. And so that's what, it, you know, our, our theme is share, care, dare. Uh, as in uh, bring it together in a light group of B2B CMOs to share, care, and dare each other to greatness. So all they have to do is go to cmohuddles.com, hit uh, one of the buttons uh, that's like subscribe or something, and then we start them on the process. And it's all, we I interview and vet every single member, and you can attend a huddle uh, as a guest and get the experience, and uh, you can find out what's going on. Very, very good. So let's let's move on, talk about the, the book. So again, Cats. Remind me again, what does cats stand for? Sure. It's uh, the, the C is for courageous uh, strategy. The A is for artful ideation. Uh, the T is for thoughtful. Uh, what is it? Thoughtful ex- execution. And then S for scientific method. You can skip the second word, but so courageous, artful, thoughtful, and scientific. Um, and you know, I, I know you're a dog lover. I just want you to know I'm a dog lover too. My dog is here with me. Um, he's offended every time I say that, but it's just an easy acronym. And I have met some really cool cats and uh, they follow yeah. these principles. That's great. That's right. So I mean, let's, get, let's just spend a bit of time on the first one on courage. I mean, you've got a wonderful story in the book about, you know, about real courage. I mean, actually a CMO who essentially you know, bet their, essentially bet their career on a campaign idea. Yeah, um, it was, it's quite a moment. So it's, uh, this was the, for the launch of the Tough Book, which was really the first sort of mainstream ruggedized notebook computer. And two engineers had from Japan had flown in the first one. And, you know, this was a magnesium encased in a shock mounted hard drive. And the agency, which happened to be Renegade, had the big idea of the ultimate torture test by running a three-ton Hummer over the computer. And by the way, not just over it, but on live television, because we did, we had got Good Morning America, who was at the show. This was Comdex 1996, and they wanted something Vegas and glitzy, and we gave it to them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were all sweating bullets. I mean, by the way, I mean, the client had courage and we kind of knew, yeah, this would be our last assign- assignment too. But uh, it worked out very well once the Hummer went over it, he opened it up and uh, turned it on. And there was this <gasps> moment uh, as, uh, as it, it, it worked. And, but, you know, it's funny. We had, we had a high degree of confidence that it was what it was going to work. We knew there was some chance that the screen could crack or something would happen, 
But, you know, sometimes, and this is the thing, they had the courage, first of all, to call it Tough Book, which was a name that we came up with for this brand. Um, and, and then you got to demonstrate it. You know, you can't call a product tough and not, not demonstrate, well, how tough is it? Well, it's so damn tough, you could run a three-ton Hummer over it. Boom. That's uh, what I love, one of the things I love about it, it's, it's one of those things where actually, I don't, I don't know if I did see that, but I think I did. <laughs> and it's sort of, and it's that story then perpetuates where people say, oh yeah, yeah I saw that thing. And that, by the way, that's pre-YouTube, right? Oh yeah. No, it's, I mean, what was funny is that after that, you know, we, we had a very uh, focused vertical marketing campaign and we got into a lot of police forces and we have one that had took a bullet right through and kept working. Uh, which was oh, incredible. Story, so yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then we just created all sorts of things. Like we would have a uh, a graveyard of other, we'd have a drop test at every trade show and we'd say, oh yeah, put your laptop here. And we kept destroying everybody else's <laughs> laptops all the time. And there'd be this graveyard. Um, <laughs> but the ultimate thing that really worked for us was actually, this is going back to the customer and empathy and saying, tell us how your notebook died. Right, that's really good. I which is amazing. It's fun. Brilliant. Right. I mean, it's a brilliant, simple idea. And I think, you know, to your point about complexities is that, look, you know, we both, you know, we're the same sort of generation of like the tail end of Mad Men, right? Where, um, where it was all about simple ideas. And you're right, it has got so complex. And I think that we all kind of lose sight about actually it's, a, it's the power of an idea is, is, is more important than all the mechanics, frankly. Um, anyway, the, listen, I wanted to, I wanted to talk, focus about something that you spend a lot of time on the book, and that's about the risk that CMOs take in their careers because they've got short lifespan. Was it the average lifespan of a CMO is about two years, right? And but you you make this point about that CMOs have to take on a lot of responsibility these days. They're, they're change agents, and change comes slowly. And, you know, they've got a two year countdown with the clock ticking on them. So how do they in that time frame, if they if they're trying to drive through a big idea or a big change, how do they make that? You know, how do you make an impact in two years so that you leave a bit of a legacy or better yet, you actually keep working for them? <laughs> right. If you want to. Um, you want to so and I think there's sort of three answers uh, to that question. And I'll give you them. The first thing I recommend for every CMO going into the organization is field an employee survey in your first 30 days. It doesn't cost a thing. You'll get tremendous knowledge. You'll start to build. This is part about the artful ideation. You'll get some employees will go, oh my God, nobody's ever asked me for my opinion or my thoughts. So that's one. It's a quick win. And part two of that is find some other quick wins. There's always something that your predecessor did that was probably broken, that if you looked at it, you could find a quick win. Those two things are about building credibility because you need a little quick win credibility in order to do the big thing, right? To aim big and to sort of think about how am I going to have the biggest impact on this company? And you know, most of the time, Marketing is just, you know, frankly, it could be fluff. It's, you know, I like to call it a paint on an old barn or, you know, repainting a, a, a beat up car. It just doesn't do anything. It's just you change the color, you change the logo. Great marketing is a great promise that the organization delivers on. And marketing can drive that. So they have to find out pretty quickly what is that big giant promise. 
And what it, how can the organization fulfill that promise? How can they make changes to fulfill the promise? And then that, take that to market. And typically that process takes anywhere from six to 12 months to get there and to build the consensus. Um, but so you need those quick wins with the employee survey and you know, you're just, you're smart. You go in and you say, oh, I can do that. We don't have a, we don't have an 800 number on our website. <laughs> oh, okay. That could make a difference, right? So you look for a quick win while you are building um, the case for a much bigger thing. Then let's talk, let's talk about the bigger thing. I mean, give me some examples. I think you got some, some good examples. I think of Aetna where, you know, that, that's actually was the role of marketing was really about transforming the way the, the company operated or at least interacted with its customers. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that one because I love this story. So, uh, and this is also really interesting because at the moment when they first started, uh, uh, that's Edelman, in when he first started on it, he thought he had the idea. <laughs> he was almost confident because a lot of marketers are very creative people and he thought he had the idea. Um, and it got shut down really quickly because he hadn't sort of built consensus across the organization, even for the process. So anyway, he went through the process and they came up with this line, which could be just a tagline. You don't join us. We join you because, you know, it's nice words. What do you mean? So the difference between what most marketers do, and by the way, we surveyed and we asked marketers. So how important is uh in employee communications uh, prior to launching a campaign. And those 90% said, it's really important. Okay, how long do you give to that? More than a half, less than a month. So what that says to me is marketing is a veneer. Marketing isn't actually organizational change, driving because you're not making a promise that is large enough that requires the organization to change. So what Edelman did was said, no, we're going to change. And so they spent six months retraining their agents and they had principles that they were going to deliver what it means to join, we join you. One of them was to get to know you and have the right data. And another one was to sort of anticipate needs. So for example, you call and you're going to get, you need approval for a knee surgery. And so usually the agent will say, oh, okay, what doctor are you going to do? Do you know what it's going to cost? Okay, uh, let us get back to you because that's really expensive. Are you sure you need it? Right, blah, 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 blah. Instead, they go, okay, fine, we're going to approve this. And oh, by the way, everybody who gets knee surgery generally needs a PT. Would you like us to send you a list of PT professionals that are approved that you could work with? And it's like, that's a change moment for the organization, yeah. right? right? Completely different. But it came from this idea, you don't join us, we join you. And that is a commitment, an organizational commitment. And I think that's the hard part here is when you're doing marketing right, you are making a promise that you are committed to delivering. And hopefully it's something that if you're really aiming big, is something the organization hasn't done before. And so that requires you know, employee involvement and employee training and transformation. But the other thing that's sort of interesting about that is, is it ties so well with the transformation in healthcare, which is about moving to you know, value-based care, population health management, which really is about rather than saying, you know, referring the whole time, it's about trying to keep the patients within the network. And yeah. so, you know, by being empathetic, they were actually encouraging a behavior, which is good for their business too. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's really very, very, very interesting that. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you, you also, you know, they, they talk, you, you pick up on the whole theme of being purpose driven and, and that's, um, you know, that, that's generally a trend. I don't see it 
as much as I in healthcare technologies I do in other in other organizations. I mean, can, can you give some good B2B examples of being a purpose-driven organization? Sure. And I actually, I know a couple of companies, I think Scripts, for example, oh, yeah. uh, they are very purpose-driven. And when you talk to Melanie Marcus, the CMO, she will tell you um, what their purpose is. And most of the employees know it. So I know, look, if you're in healthcare, you're in the wellness business, you have an actual purpose. You are not necessarily saving the world, but you probably are doing something that's is involves being healthier than than you were. So I don't think healthcare companies necessarily have to define by purpose uh, in terms of you know healthy lives because frankly it's built into the brand and it wouldn't be differentiating. But if you're a bank, let's take uh, uh, Bank of the West for example, and the, you know banks are both B two B and B two C, but the big business is B two B, and Bank of the West. Uh, made the commitment that they were going to be an organization that didn't invest in fracking, didn't invest in certain uh, types of coal. They had to divest $1.5 billion in some of their uh, sort of, we'll call them Western states, but not Colorado um, and or Midwest states. Anyway, that was a big hit. But they also saw tremendous growth in California and Colorado, which were uh, much more eco-friendly. And they saw it as the future of the business. And so sometimes taking a, a stand can be, uh, can be uh, you know, it can be a little scary. And again, that's part of this courage part is that you may not please everybody, but you can please a group of people a lot more. And then there's State Street Global, which is a B2B brand in financial services, and of course, their fearless girl became very famous. But what, uh, which is the statue that was across from the, you know, the the Wall Street uh, charging bull. But what's really interesting about that uh, story is that they had a fund called the She Fund before they launched that campaign, and they could show that you know, invest in this fund, it outperforms companies that have women on boards outperform those that don't. So, okay, there's a really good business reason for them to, to embrace that uh, having. And they actually went on a letter writing campaign to reinforce it. Uh, something like 250 public companies after they started the campaign added women to the boards. They even did it in Japan, uh, which had no women on a single board. Uh, and they changed that. Um, and then they had to turn it. And this is where sometimes these things bite back. Um, they had to... The, People started looking at their organization and they said, you know what? You're right. We could do this better. Okay. They took a chance by taking that position, but the ultimate benefit is organizational transformation that aligns with the promise that you're putting out in the marketplace. So it worked out pretty well for them. Very interesting. Yeah. And I, um, but I also think your point about healthcare is very true, which is that, you know, it's part of, it, it is part of the genetics of it. Now, I always want to provide really specific tips and things that you know listeners can put into practice directly after listening to this. And so one of the things that I think you you do a really good job of describing very clearly in the book um, is the difference between brand positioning, brand promise, um, and a tagline. And I think a lot of folks get these things mixed up. Um, you know, but, you know. So t- tell us about the differences and and the process. Sure. So, and I love, I love talking about this. So my, probably the best four words that I have ever crafted as a, as a tagline is was for family circle. And the words are where family comes first. 
And at the time when we presented that line uh, to the client, they were sort of lukewarm on it. We said, no, no, no this is a lot more than a tagline. Uh, you could be the first publication to go out there and say, yeah, we believe in families. We believe in family comes first. And so we're going to have the best family leave policy inside. We're going to do a symposium. And we put all these ideas on the table for them. We're going to, we're actually going to move it a section in the magazine called family from the second part to the first part of the magazine. So family comes first, literally and physically in May. Anyway, they thanked us for the line. They trademarked the line. They put it on the spine of the magazine for 18 years. Cool, right? <laughs> That's a <Yeah>. legacy. <laughs> it's yeah. a tagline. Yeah. It just sits there. It's at the end of the thing and it has no real meaning because there were no mm. actions that backed it up. By contrast, uh, one of our clients is Case Paper. They're a paper company. And, you know, we talk about B2B and B2B boring. What could be more boring than paper? <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. they just sell paper. But in fact, it's a really interesting company and they have a lot of fun with their brand. But the purpose driven story statement for them is on the case. And it's a pun because we actually put the words on the over the case in their logo when we messed with that. But Nice. Then we created employee programs to talk about what does it mean to be on the case? Reliable, resourceful, responsive. They use that language now as a way of thinking about customer uh, And it's all about customer centricity, which isn't unusual. Look, it's hard to differentiate that. But when you add that on the case, as in we are reliable, resourceful, and responsive to a very funny brand, you have differentiation. And that's what they've done. And it's Very been remarkably successful. So big difference between the two. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think part of the challenge actually in, um, for a lot of B2B marketers who haven't kind of been through, you know, an education on, on that is, is that they use the positioning statement as the as a tagline or the compute, the tagline is sort of comes up and it's just not, it's not really grounded in anything strategic. So uh, that's that's very helpful. Um, so as we come to a close here, Drew, I've got a question for you that I ask all our guests. So which is, okay, I want you to get, get in the back to the future DeLorean, and I want you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice that you would really find useful right now, something that you wish you'd known a bit earlier in your life. Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, just okay. kidding. No, uh, so... Uh, well, actually, given what you said earlier, that means don't invest in Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah, we're a little late now on that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, actually, it's really simple. So I, I mentioned early on that I started writing an article and committed to that. I wish I had started 10 years earlier. And, and there's the reason for that is that writing is really a process of learning and understanding. And until you start to write stuff down, you really don't understand. And then the process of forcing yourself to write something every week means that you then get more curious because you need something to write about. And that's what led me ultimately to interviewing all these people and building an incredible network. Uh, so yeah, I wish I had started writing much earlier. That's, that's so true. Well, that's, that, that's a great, it, that's uh, not what I was expecting you're going to say, but really true. And uh, something which I, I, I share that actually. Um, so, um, Drew, I mean, it's been a fantastic pleasure to have you on the podcast. I, I can't thank you enough. Um, there's going to be a link to Drew's Amazon page uh, in the show notes so you can get the book. I really, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's really a great, great read. 
Um, but before you, we go, I just want to let you know that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast channels. Uh, you can also view the video and the interview through the links in the show notes. And we've got some great podcasts, uh, great great guests coming up. Thank you, Drew. Any 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 passing words you want to say before we wrap this up? You know, I've just, I want to, first of all, thank you, Adam, for what you're doing. I think it's great. And I love the focus on health tech because, you know, every time you focus, you've made a good decision. And, you know, chapter one, uh, we, we talk about clearing away the clutter. You've done that by, uh, by helping uh, folks in your audience focus on this thing. So congratulations to you. And thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. And I want to thank you all for listening. And if you've got a topic uh, that you'd like us to cover, please email me at adam at healthlaunchpad.com. That's adam at healthlaunchpad.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. Actually happened uh, this week. Uh, somebody reached out to me and he's going to be on the show. And it's going to be a very, very interesting sh uh, show with a bit of a focus on SEO. So uh, enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. And thank you for listening.